0: Thanks for joining us at the Business Growth Cafe, where each week we select from a menu of topics for a focused discussion with an industry expert to provide insights that can impact your business's growth with your host, Angelo Ponzi. I am Angelo Ponzi, your host here at the Business Growth Cafe, and thank you for stopping by. We have a great show for you today. Now, I'm not sure who's listening, and hopefully you're the right people listening to this show, and if you're not, make sure you send it to whoever is thinking about starting a business. Now, you could be at the early stages of just an idea. You could be developing your pitch deck. You could be out searching for money. And today, I have Steve Hoffman. He is the CEO of Founderspace, one of the world's leading startup accelerators with over 50 partners in 22 countries. Founderspace was ranked the number one incubator for Overseas Startups by Forbes and Entrepreneur Magazine. Steve himself has invested in many startups on his own. He's also the author of three books, Make Elephants Fly, Surviving a Startup, and the Five Forces. And Surviving the Startup is a a new book that's coming out, and we're going to talk about that as we get into it. But Steve, is is, we're going to dig into his knowledge. We're going to tap into his knowledge base that talks about the right way and the wrong way that you should be approaching your startup, not only in building your pitch decks, but reaching out to venture capitalists, thinking about raising money, how you value your organization and all sorts of other things that you need to know in order to do this. Now I've had the opportunity to grow uh, a company as I've talked about, but I've actually brought some products to market as well too. And, in some mistakes I personally made. I'll talk about some of those. Uh, and you learn, you learn these things. But the Probably the biggest thing I want to talk about as we get into today's show is you, you just can't fall in love with your own product. Or you have to step back, put the right people on the bus, right? Jim Collins, make sure you have the right people on the bus in the right seats. And sometimes, sometimes you as the founder may not be that person. But we're gonna get into all of that, so stay tuned. We're gonna be talking to Steve in just a moment and we'll be right back. At Kraft, our team of marketers provide consulting, interim, fractional, and leadership services, focusing on the strategic and analytical side of marketing. And we take a holistic view to drive business growth. We are marketing architects. We use research to gather the necessary insights from your customers, prospects, competition, and the market to develop fact-based approaches to building effective and efficient growth plans. We call them marketing blueprints. Companies work with us when they need to launch, scale, or even pivot their business. By understanding how your company is positioned and perceived in the marketplace, we can help craft your messaging to be more relevant to your customers based on their needs, wants, motivations, and behaviors to ensure your marketing investment is optimized. After all, you wouldn't build a house without a blueprint. So why are you building your business without one? Visit Craft Marketing Architects to learn more. As I mentioned, I have Steve Hoffman. He is the CEO of Founderspace, one of the world's leading startup accelerators. I'm excited to have him here. Steve, welcome to the Business Growth Cafe. Angelo, it's great to be here. Uh, you know what? I I it's a it's a glorious day outside. Uh I, I forget where are you at? I'm in the San Francisco Bay Area. Okay. And I'm in uh, Orange County, California. So same state, different, different ends of it. And it's a beautiful day here and it's uh, actually warm. I'm probably dressed uh, a little with heavier clothing that I really need, but uh, that's okay. It was chilly this morning when I got up, but uh, now it's warm. So um, why don't we start off the conversation with you telling the audience a little bit about yourself and your company?
1: Sure. Sure. I am the CEO of Founderspace, and we are a global startup incubator and accelerator. We have over 50 partners in 22 countries right now, and I work with hundreds of entrepreneurs all over the world, helping them grow their businesses. I'm also an author of three different books. My first book, published by Hachette, is Make Elephants Fly, which is all about the process of radical innovation. How Startups Innovate. Okay. My, my second book, Surviving a Startup, is exactly what the title says. It's How to Survive a Startup, Raise Capital, Grow Your Business. And my third book, The Five Forces That Change Everything, is about how technology is transforming society and our world.
0: All right. Well, I, I know we're going to kind of Talk a lot about startups today, so it's probably going to lean a little heavier on the second book. But you uh, said something, and, and I want to just talk about it just for a second more. Uh, 50 partners, I believe you said, but 22 countries. So, so are you working with startups literally around the world?
1: Yes. So we, be, I began Founderspace over a decade ago in San Francisco. That was after doing three venture-funded startups in Silicon Valley. I wanted to first of all help out my friends who were raising capital and then it just kept growing and we set up in the city of San Francisco our first incubator and at that time everybody was flocking to Silicon Valley from around the world to figure out how to innovate, how to do startups, how to how to get the next unicorn and we made all these connections globally and then they started inviting us overseas to collaborate with them okay
0: Oh, that's interesting. And and then any particular countries that you see kind of the the hotbed of innovation?
1: Well, we do a lot across Europe. Uh, South Korea is very active. And of course, China is a huge market. So we have actually set up incubators in five Chinese cities. So we're in Hanzhou, Shenzhen, Wuhan, Nanjing and Xi'an right now.
0: Okay. Well, it does keep you pretty busy and and, and probably sounds like you don't get much sleep.
1: (laughs) No, I don't. (laughs) Because we're a global operation.
0: Yeah, different time zones. You know, it's going to wake me up in five minutes. It'll be two o'clock in the morning, but someplace in the world, it's two in the afternoon.
1: Exactly.
0: I love it. And, And how many people on your staff that are supporting all of this?
1: So different incubators have different numbers of people. In the Bay Area, it's around 20. Overseas, like in China, it's about 20 per incubator, you know, including full time and uh, part time, not including all the mentors we bring in.
0: Okay, yeah, and I think uh, when we had first talked, you know, I, I, I'm a mentor here at one of the universities, and then I've sat in on several startup organizations and helped put some mentoring programs, and and uh, it's been it's been fascinating. And you know, a lot of times when I would see people present at a, a pitch fest, and you know, I'd have all these comments that I would have liked to make, but I was just a, an observer, not a not a mentor at that point in time uh, for those. And uh, you know, things that I I see that people do wrong, or at least in my perception, oh uh, yeah, the, you know, I I, I huge
1: I've, mistakes.
0: Yeah, huge. And you know, I've, been, I've I've been fortunate. I've brought some products to market um, for companies. I've actually brought uh, built and sold a couple companies and I, I had a, a product myself, which was more of an intellectual property, a research product mm-hmm. that, I, that I sold. And um, just getting there and the mistakes that I personally made, uh, which cost me a lot of money, it took a while to recoup that and, and find my groove. So I want to kind of start there. Normally, we start with all the positive stuff. We're going to start with some negative stuff. What, are, what do you see are the biggest mistakes that, that entrepreneurs make when they start to think about you know growing their business or starting a
1: business? Well, the first big mistake most entrepreneurs make is that they dive right in. They get super excited by their idea, and they want to start building it. They want to start moving, and they don't spend enough time doing two things up front. Number one, researching the market. They don't spend enough time looking at the competition, figuring mm-hmm. out if there are people already doing this and how different really is their product than what competitors are offering. So a lot of times you think you're unique, but more often than not, the idea is already out there. And it's and trying to compete with somebody already in the marketplace doing the same thing that's way ahead of you it's almost always a losing proposition. The second thing they do wrong is they don't spend enough time building their team. They tend to pull together people who happen to be available and around them instead of really seeking out A-plus players who, can, who are like the best people they could imagine getting and working hard to convince those people to join their team. Because I will tell you, you know, no matter what you're doing out there, there's going to be stiff competition. If there's a big market, they're going to be competitors. And if you go into the, if you go into the marketplace and you have a B team, not an A team, at some point, you are going to drop the ball. You're going to fumble the ball and somebody with an A team is going to pick it up and run with it. And they're going to beat you because execution is the hard part. Mm-hmm. So starting out with a great team is so critical. And I tell entrepreneurs, you know, before you even dive into your idea, spend 80% of your time figuring out what team you want to work with. And let me tell you, having the right idea at the beginning isn't so important. It's a big myth out of there, a big myth out there that the light bulb goes off, you're like, oh my God, this is the idea that will change the world and you just run with it and it's a straight line. Almost always doing a startup is a very jagged line where you're constantly Mm -hmm. course correcting, finding out things don't work, revising your idea, pivoting, and and then moving forward. So uh, entrepreneurs who try to, most startups fail for one reason, they stick with the same idea that isn't working too long. Now, really great entrepreneurs They go into the marketplace with a different mindset. They go in, I'm going to just figure out what the market needs. I'm not going to tell the market what it needs. I don't necessarily know what the market needs. needs. I have a lot of ideas and I have a direction, an area I want to focus on. And then they go in and they start testing things. They try one thing, it doesn't work. They try another thing, it doesn't work. They try another thing and they keep trying. And if you have a great team with you running these experiments, you're going to hit upon something eventually.
0: Yeah, that's great advice. I mean, it's, it, it, it's there's a, uh, you use that it, it's not a straight line, it's a jagged line. And actually that's one of the, in some of my presentations, I talk about the road to growth you know, is not a straight line. And I show a couple pictures, but there's this one in particular where it's kind of this rocky climb and there's all these jagged, you know, things and, you know, in your way, blah, blah, blah. But the one stat that I throw up at the same time is that, and it's probably a, it's an older stat now, maybe a couple of years, but it was 92% of all strategies fail because of poor implementation. And, and, and I find that to your point is a lot of times it's not just the idea. It's like, how do you get that idea out there and, and how do you follow through? And the other side of that great product, great ideas, not the team to execute. And it still could fail. I mean, just because you have a fantastic idea. I mean, it'd be, I'm sure there's, a, there's products out there that would have changed the world, except unfortunately they didn't know how to get it to market and do things with it. Right.
1: Exactly. I see that so often with startups, and once you get a team together, it's really hard to restructure. So getting the right team from the beginning, it's it's so critical to your success. How, how does
0: someone that, you know, let's say I have an idea, and how do I find the right people? I I, I think I know how, but how would I, as I'm talking about my listeners, but how would they find the right people? to work
1: on a project? And and what's the enticement to get people to come on? So this is the thing. I get it from entrepreneurs all the time. They're like, I have no money, uh, or I have very little money. How can I get A players on my team? You know, these these people will be working for Microsoft or Google or Facebook. They'll be earning six-figure salaries. I can't pay them that. Well, I turn around and I say, first of all, this is your first big challenge. If you can't bring together a great team, with, you know, at the beginning stage of a startup, then maybe you aren't the ideal leader that you need to be to run a successful startup because really great leaders, they are able to convince people to join based on their vision and based on their passion for a certain, for making change in a certain area. So how you get great people is number one, money isn't everything. Like salary isn't everything. People want to feel part of something. They want to do something meaningful. They want to build something and prove in their lifetime that they can do this. You need to tap into that desire in people and you need to show them that by working with you, they can accomplish these things much better than they could at a big corporation, an already established company. And how do you find them? You have to network like crazy. You can't sit in your room at your computer and find these people. You need to go. It's so important to go out into the real world and start meeting people. If you want a great marketing person, go to the marketing meetups, go to the conferences where all the top marketing people are. The ones who really are pushing the limits and really want to learn, connect with those people. Find somebody out there who is not just doing what every other marketing person does, but is always on the cutting edge, trying the latest platforms, trying the latest things, always educating themselves, always reading. Same for technical people. Don't go to the business conferences and expect to find the the perfect engineer. Go where the engineers hang out. Go to the Node.js conference, you know, the MongoDB meetup group. And you might not know what they're talking about, but just by being there, you're going to be able to connect with a lot of these people. Then you find people with a shared passion. If you want to go out there and change the restaurant industry, how restaurants are run with new technology, that's your passion. Find people who are passionate about. If you want to make the fishing industry more sustainable, find people who care about that. Bring them together. That's how you find great people.
0: Okay, that's the great again great advice. So what I'm hearing you saying: don't go ask your cousin and your aunt and your uncle to join the team that may have absolutely no experience to, or advice to give you that's that's workable.
1: <laughs> yeah, and don't go get your college, you know, roommate who might be a mediocre engineer on your team just because they were your drinking buddy. Yeah, you know, you just they're not going to be the people you need to to execute on this and do an incredible job. Honestly, I tell entrepreneurs, if you're going to build a good product, if you're going to build even a really good product, you will probably fail. Like people, the products that succeed are great. Like they are the best of the breed. Those are the ones that take over the market. They get all the attention, the market share, everything. Everything else dies out.
0: Mm -hmm. You, You also mentioned something that's near and dear to my heart. and I think it was one of your first things that someone should do, and that's research. Uh, you know, research is part of my background and, and a core competency of my organization. And so many times, startups, you know, uh, small businesses, large enterprise businesses, they don't spend the time doing research to understand the market, to understand the prospects. And and you said it, the competition. I, I've heard this a gazillion times. I don't have any competition. Nobody's doing what we do. Well, i venture to say I, I'm actually doing some work for it's a relatively new startup. It's about a year old and, you know, they have a unique position and a unique element of their software. But as I said to them, it's only unique for a short period of time because if it, people see that you're capitalizing on something that differentiate you, it's just a matter of time before they add it in or they figure out a way to do it. So now you're back to that leadership um or you're a challenger right if you're a leader in the market or challenging the market it's a different way to approach and so people just don't spend the time because they're in a hurry right to get the product get the investment and that maybe not do such a great job in understanding you know the the, the total market the addressable market and, and then what they can capture and, you know, what's the competitive set and things are
1: in there. You can, you can never do too much research, honestly, because mm-hmm. most people do barely enough uh, on you. If you run a startup, you should be a power user of all your competitors products. You should know them inside and out. You should know what's really good about them so that you can adopt those things because they've been in the marketplace engaging with customers. They probably figured some stuff out that you don't know And you should figure out what they do badly so that you can fix those problems, do them better. And the most important, like you said, if you are making incremental improvements over the competition that's already entrenched, they're already out there, they're they're moving, they're growing, you're not gonna break through. You know, being a startup is really tough. You only really break through in a big way, these, these exponential growth companies. If you're either doing something That I say isn't incrementally better, but exponentially better. Like it's so much better than the other solutions out there that people can't ignore you. They 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 have to switch or if you can't be exponentially better, you need to do something different, something Mm -hmm. that they aren't doing for their customers, because there's always new needs out there. There's always needs that are being unmet. In- invariably the world's changing constantly new technology is emerging creating these needs trends are changing markets are shifting there's these i call them pent-up pockets of demand always forming out there like little volcanoes ready to explode mm-hmm. and if you tap into one of these pent-up pockets of demand that's what will propel your growth but if you don't hit a real pen- a pocket of demand then you're uh, you don't have anything
0: yeah. But, and again, I go back to research. If you're not, you know, keeping your finger on the pulse of what's going on out there and the, and the needs and wants of the consumer or your, or, you know, whoever you're selling to from a business standpoint, then it's not difficult. I tell, you know, I'll, I'll get this. Oh, I can't afford it. My answer is you can't afford not to exactly. And it doesn't have to be expensive. I mean, I, I probably in the last year, I've been doing more research than I have in a while because of the the pandemic. And now people need to understand what happened to the marketplace, what happened to their customers. But I do a lot of qualitative interviewing where I'll go out and I'll talk to their customers. And I do an internal and then I do an external because there's a perception, which I hear all the time. Oh, they, they love us. We got the best product in the world. And then you go out and talk to the customers. And yeah, you know, not so much. And now we need to figure out why there's a misalignment. And, it, and I find it's the same you know in the startup world, you, you have to understand, even though you don't think you have a competitor, there is a competitor because sorry consu- sorry business consumers out there, but you're not necessarily as smart as you need to be. and it's real easy to get confused if there's a lot of products out there. Again, this this program I'm working on right now, indirectly, there's a hundred companies that could be perceived as competitors. Or at least a piece of what you know my clients doing, and so digging down to figure out what the real competitive set is and how we position and how we communicate and show that true differentiation is is a struggle and it takes time.
1: It's true, you know. No matter what idea you think of, there's somebody out there probably doing it some way. Whether they're mm-hmm. doing it with pen and paper, whether they're doing it with antiquated software, they're they're getting what they need done. So you there's all. In the marketplace, there are always competitors. Like, There's always some way, there's somebody out there and some tool that they're using. You just need to figure them out.
0: Yeah, there was a, as about a, about a year ago, um, company internally created this business process management software for their company. Thought it was a great idea. They go, you know, maybe we can market it to other people. So we got hired to do some due diligence. And, you know, I went back and then said, there's 452 companies already doing what you're doing. Now, is there an opportunity for you? Yes, because we found one, but it's in a niche you wouldn't have thought of. And there, there is an opportunity to grow, but that's where you need to enter. And, you know, they were a little resistant at first, but then eventually they did. And we did some more due diligence and eventually about six, seven months worth of work before they ever decided to actually launch the
1: product. Um, go ahead. I, you, you know, what you're doing for startups is what they need, not just in the beginning, but throughout their life. Like mm-hmm. research is not something you do once and then walk away and figure, oh, I know the market now. No, you have to continually do research because the market's always changing. Yep. I like to say entrepreneurs should be having a di- a continuous dialogue with their customers.
0: And, and near, need I say... Every business needs to have a constant dialogue with their exactly, customers. Exactly. It, never it doesn't t- matter
1: how mature <laughs> you are. If you're not listening to your customers, if you're not getting feedback, if you're not engaging them, then you are going to miss the boat at some point. And I,
0: and I think that's probably in businesses in general, but especially in startups, right? because they fall in love. We all fall in love with our products. And you can't tell us anything different. That happened to me when I was doing my research. I spent nine years in the field doing teen research. And I want, and one day I said, I bet you I could start a company. I'm making this real short. So I did, but I followed the same pattern that I that I was doing this, the qualitative work with across the country and launched a quantitative study that mirrored it, which put me in competition with some of the big teen studies that are out there. Well, my goal was to sell to the surf, skate and snowboarding industry, but the only people that were buying my studies were large uh, entre- uh, enterprise companies, you know, like the fossils and the OPs and the swatches of the world. And when I pivoted, it, it, you know, that, I had to step take 10 steps backwards because the, the markets were so different, The price points, their, the ability to understand information, they didn't have the infrastructure. And it really changed, and it took a few years to kind of get back on track. But um, but I thought I had an idea, and I, and I did. But it took it took time. It oh, took yeah. time. And you, yeah, you,
1: and like you said, w- you know, we all fall in love with our pl- products, and love is blind. So yeah. when, you, when you're in love, <laughs> you often ignore all the feedback. No, it's an, it's not right for you. It's not working. You just ignore it and you charge ahead, only to find out that you should have listened.
0: Yeah. So in, in my experience with, with startups, of course, a crucial element is the pitch deck. So what, how important, in your opinion, is the pitch deck and, and what is the, the kind of the right structure for a pitch deck? Because I've seen them, you know, you got two minutes, you got one minute, you got five minutes, you got 10 minutes. You know, so those are one, all different size.
1: So there's different types of pitch decks. So there's, uh well, there's an investor deck. And then there's a pitch deck. So an investor deck is something that I would call you you email to the investor. So it's something that they would read. Uh, So it has to have more written information, although still should be extremely visual. And then you get to a pitch deck. And a pitch deck is something where you're supposed to be standing up there and speaking. And in that case, it should have very few words in almost all visuals because you want them listening to you. And people don't multitask very well. So when they're reading something on a PowerPoint and trying to listen to you, they're usually blocking out or not concentrating on what you're saying. So my, uh, you know, I train entrepreneurs in this. We do pitches all the time at Founderspace. We have Demo Day, things like that. When when you get up there, when they look at a slide, they should literally be able to understand the main focus of that slide in 10 seconds and then you start or less and then you and then they, their focus has to shift to you and what you're saying. And each slide should make one point. You shouldn't have a slide that makes two, three or four points. Mm-hmm. It's too confusing for people. The most important thing you can do In a pitch, whether it's two minutes, five minutes, 20 minutes, the most important thing an entrepreneur can do is right up front, explain what your product does. Because if you don't clearly communicate what your product or service is to the the investors out there in the room, then the entire rest of the pitch They are just trying to figure out what your product is. (laughs) They're confused. So I've seen pitches where it's like halfway through or near the very end that they fully explain what their product does. And I've been in these, like I'm an investor. I I invest in these startups and that entire pitch, I I didn't know what they were talking about until eventually I figured it out and they missed their opportunity. Mm -hmm. So So number one, if you only do one thing in a pitch and one thing only, Just explain what your product or service does and what the value is to the customer. Just do that. (laughs) Once you've done that, then there's all sorts of things that are important. There's, you know, uh, how big is the market? How fast can we grow? What is our business model? What is our team? All these other things can come later, but they are are far less important because at the end of the day, you have to remember when you're doing a pitch, people are going to walk away With a sort of a binary uh, outcome, they're going to say, wow, that's really interesting. I should follow up on it or forget it. It's not for me. That's that's pretty much. And they'll only remember the highlights, the most interesting things you say. So don't go too deep on technical and all these details of your business. They're not going to remember it. They just have to get the big picture.
0: Well, and and then you need to generate the interest. And then if there's interest, you can get into all the, you know. Yeah,
1: then you meet them. All the nitty
0: gritty, yeah. Yeah,
1: and then that's when you go even deeper.
0: In determining the size, I mean,
1: I, I know how I go about it when I have an
0: assignment. But as an entrepreneur, I have this idea, you know, what is the potential size of this market? You know, how cluttered is it? Those kinds of things. How is, besides research, are there any other... Tips and pieces of advice you would give to, to entrepreneurs to help them figure out their size of the market?
1: So investors, if they're experienced, if they're not experienced, they might not have this. But experienced investors pretty much can recognize a big market when they see one. They don't need a lot, you know, and all the data that you get from Gartner Group and all these others. You know, people just sort of gloss over that. They're like, oh, okay, okay, it's a multi billion dollar market, blah, 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 blah. So, but let me tell you in order for venture capital in Silicon Valley to be interested, uh, institutional venture capital, you would need a, a billion dollar plus market, usually multi billion dollar market. That's what they're looking for. So, most of the markets that Either they're really big or they're not, they're just small. And if they're really niche markets, then the VCs aren't going to go after them. If they're really big, they pro- they're probably already on their radar. So people shouldn't waste too much time with this. It's much more important for, the, uh, for, for an investor like me to understand what, is the, uh, what your customers actually, what their problem is, what they need from you and what they're getting from you. Those are the things we need to see. And we want to see proof. We want to see some demonstrable data that the customers are are gonna gobble this up. They need what you have and they need it, not like tomorrow, they need it yesterday. They were like, Mm -hmm. really like, oh my God, give me this product, I need it now. If it's like, if you show them that then, and I know it's a big market already, I'm super excited. If you, if you, if it seems like a nice to have product for a lot of whoever you're selling to, oh, it's nice to have, you're dead in the water. Like people don't buy nice to have, they buy what's their top five priorities. So whatever their top five priorities in life are, you know, I want to increase revenue. I want to be more efficient. I want to solve this critical problem. Those things they go after. And then if it's not on their even top five or top three is even better there, you're, Customers aren't really your customers.
0: Okay. Yeah, I remember seeing a pitch and it was like it's a you know a ten billion dollar market and we're going to get you know twenty five or twenty seven percent of
1: it in the next three. Years. It's like oh, yeah. it's just not conceivable. That doesn't, that doesn't even you, we don't like those top down approaches. So as an investor, we want what's called bottom up. So we don't want to say oh this is a ten billion dollar market even if we captured two percent of this it's this much money. We it doesn't we anybody can say that you know, mm-hmm. what we want to see is from the ground up. Have you talked to customers? Have you engaged them? What research have you done, you know, specifically with your target customers? Why do they need this? Can you show me some proof? What, what are, how are they doing this now? How is your solution better? What value are you providing? That's what we want to see. You
0: know, that it, it, and that's a great point because a, a lot of times I've been in meetings and it's always about, you know, what's the size of the market? How are you going to capture it? What's your plan? But really kind of that bottom-up approach makes a lot of sense. I mean, and that's, kind of what we do when we're building strategic plans for clients. It's it's like, I know where you, you know, in this case, they're already in business, but you know, they're $5 million today and they want to be $25 million in three years. Okay. That's a huge leap, but let's work backwards. Let's deconstruct. And that's what we do. We deconstruct everything. Is it even feasible? Do you even have the customer base that's going to give you renewals? You know, and then what's the new acquisition? Can we do it in the market that you're in? Do we need to go into new markets or have new products? And I need to know that because I'm talking to the customers to understand their needs and wants. And to your point, the kind of building it back up, right? So deconstruct it and build it back up um, seems to be always be the better approach as opposed to top down. And and, uh, so I I do like that. Yeah, so the
1: top down stuff… you don't even have to worry that much about it. <laughs> you really need to worry about it's building it from the bottom up. What's your foundation? You know, what, what's this business built on? Have you spent time with customers? What are their reactions? Can you prove that they'll buy it in any sort of way? Are do they mm-hmm. have they you know submitted orders to you that are pending? What do you have?
0: Right, and and, and that goes back to quote unquote research.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs>
0: I wish I could have a research sign flashing <laughs> yeah. right now because that's uh that it's always you know, trying to convince people that that and people being businesses that research is important and not just today, but every day. Yes. you need to have an ongoing whether it's I, I do a thing on establishing a competitive intelligence program. Why? Because things change.
1: Oh, yeah. And you should be monitoring all your competitors. You should be figuring when they add a new feature, when they they change their plan a little, when they do a new marketing campaign, you should know about it yeah. because they may have figured something out that you don't know. And that thing could really be working.
0: Well, so so let's say people are doing it right. Now it's time to raise some money. And I've seen the big asks. <laughs> that are outrageous, but. But a lot of times when I see the money being asked for in this particular different different software or startup that I worked with a couple of years ago, you know, they had a big ask. And when they said, how do you, where are you going to spend it? They had three categories broken down, no detail. And I said, I, I can tell you right now, you're going to get a lot of questions on this because your biggest section was marketing and there's no marketing detail. And then you then you loop, you, you group together marketing and sales. but But what does that mean? So what kind of advice can you give to the listeners that are doing this about the kind of details they need and the kind of
1: asks they can make from a venture capitalist? Yeah. Yeah. So when you go into a venture capitalist, i I'll give you a story. So I worked with this entrepreneur. He was really creative, really smart, came out of Adobe. He had sold a previous startup to Adobe. So he's very experienced. And he had this vision for a future product that was amazing. And he created this professional quality video, which so perfectly captured what his product would be once it was funded. So I thought that what he did everything perfectly. You know, we respond, people respond uh, to visuals, to seeing stuff, to stories. His, his three minute video basically showed you that what that product would be and how people would use it in such a beautiful way. So whenever he showed this to investors, they went crazy. But he was asking for valuation for his stage that I thought thought was way out of range. So uh, this was, you know, like a while back, but he was asking, he was very early stage. He's asking for a 15 million pre-money valuation. And I was like, look, you just got out of the gate. You have a great video, but you really don't have much else. You know, you're lucky to get 5 million at your stage, you know, asking for 15. It's just too too big and ask everybody's going to walk away i go go and i introduced him to some investors and they basically they met with him they loved what he was doing but they're like wow this is this is too high you know mm-hmm. what, what you're asking for your stage so none of them bit but he refused to accept that he just refused and he went on for a year and a half trying to raise money at that preconceived valuation that was stuck in his head and he came back to me a year and a half later and said i closed around. And I'm like, really? That's fantastic. What valuation? 5 million. Back down. To, he wasted a year and a half of his time because he wouldn't adjust to what the market would, was demanding at the time. Now, this is always changing, but what, VCs, uh, what VCs will pay for startups. When you go uh, into pitch VCs, I like to say, don't pitch them. Don't try to sell them. Instead, engage them in a dialogue a two-way dialogue where you're doing as much listening as you are talking, where you're giving them a chance for them to probe and ask you questions, where you're giving them a chance for them to come up with ideas and suggestions. The reason this is so important is because it shouldn't be a sales pitch to a venture capitalist. This person, they view themselves, I'm a venture capitalist too, so I know this, but I've also been an entrepreneur and worked with hundreds of startups, and I see it every day venture capitalists don't want to just give you their money and walk away. They want to feel like they're making a contribution to your business. They want to feel like you could are their partner in launching this company. So when you engage them, you want to engage them on that level, on the level where they you are getting them excited and they are actually contributing to your business. Now, whether they invest or not, this is a winning strategy because first of all, you're forming a good relationship with them. Secondly, you're getting good advice from them. These are smart people. Usually they've run successful businesses, they are on the boards of lots of companies, they have lots of insights to and experience that you don't have. So even if they don't fund you, you can gain, you know, if you had to hire them as a consultant, it would be extremely expensive. Here they are giving you their time for free. So I tell entrepreneurs out there, you know, don't don't go in thinking you're going to ask for money like at first. Go in And be as helpful as possible so that they can understand your business and then elicit from them uh, what their perspective is, what their ideas are, how you could make things better. And you'll find that when people start to give you advice and get involved, mentally, they are buying into your business. You have a much higher chance of closing when you get the venture capitalists to actually come up with ideas and get excited about your business rather than just pitching to them and walking away.
0: That's great. Great suggestion. Great suggestion. Before we started that, you were talking about valuations. And, you know, a lot of times it's how they come up with the valuation of their business when it frankly doesn't exist. (laughs) Um, What advice can you give that, you know, how to approach the valuation of your of an organization that, you know, is in those
1: early stages or doesn't even exist yet? So valuations vary. And they vary based on geography. So the same startup in Berlin and Silicon Valley will have different values. In Beijing, it will have an even different value. You know, in South Africa, a totally different value. So it's just like real estate. Every location is different. Every neighborhood is different. Uh, How you value companies, how venture capitalists value companies, is a lot of it's based on similar deals that are being done at the same time, around the same time. So just like the real estate market is always in flux, but how do you know what a house is worth? You look at what the houses that have recently sold in the neighborhood have sold for, and that gives you an idea of what, how to price the house if you are selling your house in that neighborhood. Same thing with venture capital. You look at similar startups in in the similar sectors that you're focused on, and you see what they're getting funded at, startups that are at your stage. Now you can gather this data. One way is to go to a site like AngelList. It's really powerful, angel.co. You go on there, and if you sign in as an investor, you can actually see the valuation, what the the companies are are valuing themselves at, and what deals are closing at what valuations. So you can very quickly, with a little research, get a good idea of of the deal flow, what's happening, what the prices are, what the going rate for startups is. Another thing, uh, you can ask venture capitalists. Like you can go to them and say, you know, I just want to know what you would value my company at. You know, and if it's really important, especially if somebody turns you down, you say, well, what would you value my company at? You know, what would be your, you know, I'm going out there, I'm trying to figure out this valuation thing. Honestly, the more uh, points of data you gather, the more people inside who are seeing lots of deal flow that you can get. Uh, their advice on your valuation, the closer you will come to what the market is commanding right now. And really, you don't want to be too far outside a range. You don't want to overprice, like I said before, because you'll end up wasting your time with a, you know, trying to raise money and not getting it. And you don't want to underprice because then you're leaving money on the table. So you want to hit kind of that sweet spot in the middle. And there is no magic number. I mean, today in Silicon Valley, valuations are insane. Like they've never been higher. It's, you know, it's it's a seller's market. If you're a startup, it's, mm-hmm. it's great times for you. That, but it's sort of binary. Like if the hot startups are going like crazy valuations, like if you're hot, every investor wants in and your valuation is super high. If you're not hot, it's still brutal. It's really hard to close any deals. So um, and that's been true throughout history, right? In good markets and bad. So that those are the things an entrepreneur needs to keep in mind.
0: Are there any hot, hot markets right now? Any hot sectors?
1: Oh, there's so many AI is on fire. A blockchain. Well, cryptocurrency. I mean, it's, it's going crazy as you can see with all these Mm -hmm. ICOs and stuff. And people are throwing money at it. Um, sort of like Vegas on steroids. Uh, (laughs) There are, uh, Uh, There are lots of hot sectors. So biotech still booming. The SaaS market software as a service really, really uh, doing well now, especially if you can prove out your model. Uh, You know, e-commerce is still there. It's tapered down a little. It's, you know, a lot of that low hanging fruit has been taken in e-commerce, but that was hot for a long time. Gaming goes in and out of, of fashion right now. I think it's in back in, you know, it, it'll shift in Silicon Valley in and out, but especially games where you create a world where people can build a build, you know, where one of these things like Roblox, where you can go in and actually create stuff in the world. Those type of games are, are hot right now. And there are lots of other sectors. I mean, there's, it's a good time across the board. Let me put it, It, clean energy, startups are doing great. It's a really good time uh, to be an entrepreneur.
0: Okay, uh, let's go back, let's do a story, another story. Um, Give me another success, something you saw, maybe you invested in, but something you said, these guys did an incredible job, here's why. And then maybe not so uh, successful that, you know, you were going, oh, my God, I, I don't understand what they're doing up there.
1: Okay, so there is a startup that I invested in recently that they you know, I look for trends. I look for things that are big shifts in society that are changing. I look for how you can use technology to take advantage of these and provide services that weren't provided before. So one of the companies I invested in, they we're targeting how do you get a more diverse workforce for big enterprises? So big enterprises who want to hire at, you know, executive level positions, but basically all positions and diversify their workforce. Uh, so, uh, and allow in more women, more people of color, all of this. And they built up, uh, an entire database, the largest database in the world of, of people, uh, of diverse people that, uh, HR managers in companies could go to and hire from, and they have done phenomenally well. Hmm. So, Because, you know, this has been a big trend over the past, you know, especially in Silicon Valley over the past five to 10 years, it's been, you know, all these companies are under pressure now to actually diversify their workforce. And they just, they have the right thing at the right time. And they are just, they have so many customers. It's unbelievable. So that's one that's done really well. Uh, Others, you know, I work with a lot of startups and a lot of them, you know, they're struggling um, to actually make headway. And uh, there are companies out there. um, Let let me think of one that hasn't done well. So there's one startup out there that I've been helping and I won't name these startups because I want to keep their stuff confidential. But especially the ones who aren't doing well. It's a, he's a great entrepreneur. He's really amazing. But I went out with him. His idea sounded great on the surface, but I went out with him uh, to investors. And the more investors I talked to, the more holes they poked in his, his concept. So we, you know, we went out, we did our research, right? We went to investors because he, his, his thing was, he was building an investment platform and he wanted to get these investors onto his platform. How do you do that? How does it work? And the investors just weren't that excited. They weren't that excited because they were worried about what's called inverse selection. They were worried that he wouldn't be getting them the deals that they wanted, the best deals. And so it's very hard to convince them. And I have a rule and it's a solid rule. If you have to educate your customer on why your product is better, you have a losing proposition. Like do not be in the business of educating customers. Really the products that take off, it's when a customer sees it and they're like, oh my God, I need this. That's mm-hmm. what I need. Like I've been waiting for this to come along and it's here. I want it. If you have to like explain to them why they should want it, well, <laughs> it's going to be really, really hard. So whenever you're in a business and you find yourself explaining to customers why they need your product, oh my God, just get out of that business.
0: Yeah. Interesting. All right. Um, well, this has been just, just fascinating. It, other, if there's, is there anything else that we haven't talked about that's kind of your rule of thumb when you're personally investing?
1: Oh, I have a lot of rules of thumb that I look for in startups. So one of the things that I really like to see in a startup is I like to say I don't invest in products or services. I invest in platforms, and I'll tell you why. Because a product or service can usually be easily replicated. Like you mm-hmm. come out with a new gadget, and a, you know, a year later, a hundred—if it's really cool—hundred other people have copied that that gadget. Um, if you come up with, you know, a service, there's a lot of other people who could provide, jump in the market and provide the same service. When you come up with a platform, it's different. Now, platforms are different because, first of all, they lock in customers. And they not only really good platforms not only do this, when they get a customer, they don't just get a customer, have them buy from them, and then that customer walks away and they never see that customer again. That's that's a tough business because you're always having to acquire new customers, which is one of the most expensive things a company does is acquire customers. So when you I like companies when they get a customer, the customer comes onto their platform. And the more the customer uses their platform, the more value the customer derives from it. And not only that, the really good platforms are ecosystems. So the more customers they bring in and the more partners they bring onto their platform, the more valuable that platform becomes to all participants. Now, let me give you an example. Salesforce. Salesforce isn't the best CRM out there. Like it's, it's, A little antiquated it's clunky it's hard to learn it's not streamlined it's not the cheapest none of these things why are they dominating the market well they have built the most robust ecosystem of anybody they have no competition in that because they were early on and they brought in not only their customers to use their crm but they brought in all these third parties to create additional applications for the customer so when a customer comes in they 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 start using all these different things from all these different parties, which they can't get anywhere else because there's nobody else with that robust ecosystem. And then they can't transport it to some other CRM company. So somebody else could come by and they're half the price with a better CRM, but they don't have all these other things that the customer has grown that they really need. And the more customers they brought in, the more third parties, they developers they have creating new products and services for these customers, incredibly uh Valuable. That's why Salesforce is worth so much. Same on Amazon. The more buyers and sellers you bring in, the more value they they add to each other. The more buyers you get in, the more sellers come. And the more sellers come, the more valuable to the buyers because the more selection they have, the better price they have. All of these. So, whenever you're doing, think beyond just a narrow product or service. And those are the investments I love.
0: Uh, You know, that's great. I'm I'm flashing on and I won't say their names, but I use a, a WYSIWYG. Uh, website builder and I've been on it a long time when everybody else said, Oh, that platform is horrible. It won't do this. Won't do that. Don't get on it. But I did. And now they have so many apps and so many applications that I have integrated into my program to get away from it would be difficult because to your point, I know I can't carry some of those things someplace else. And, and they're better than some of the other tools that are out there. So they've captured me as a client. I'm also a referral partner now. I don't get any money for it, but I love to, you know, making recommendations. I just hopped on a uh, marketing automation platform. I, I'm actually paying for another one that I just don't use because it's too complicated. And there's so many tools on it that I, I can't figure out what they're doing. And, and this, in my discovery, and you know, I've been on it about a month now, I have all these integrations I can do. And so once again, I see that the value is more than just the platform itself, but it's everything else that I can integrate into it. Yeah. And 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 I and so I understand what you're saying, and it's beyond just a service, right? It's beyond a uh, you know a particular product solution. It's really a platform. Uh, I love that. Uh, yeah. Um. What 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 inspires you to get in when you get up every morning, what inspires you?
1: So I love what I do. I love working. You know, you can probably tell I'm pretty passionate. I can. <laughs> I love working with entrepreneurs. I love helping them out. I love growing businesses. And so this is like a dream job for me because I every time I engage with a new entrepreneur, a really smart entrepreneur, I'm learning something. I'm not just teaching and sharing my knowledge, but they're opening up all these new vistas for me about their market, how it works, the new technology they're using. So it's like a two-way street, A constant, and I love to learn. So that is why I love this, my, my what I do so much.
0: Okay, well, fantastic. Um, on that note, I, we're kind of coming down to the end here. So why don't you, let's do this. Why don't you give me two, three, four, five kind of parting tips, cautions, whatever you want to call them that for my listeners that are thinking about starting a business or have started a business, trying to raise some money, um, those kinds of things.
1: Okay, so I'll give you another tip. Uh, don't, when you structure your business model, go for recurring revenue, recurring revenue. So if you can get a customer to pay you over and over and over again, even if it's just a little amount of money, tends to be, wind up being a lot more money than if they just pay you once. So that's that's really how you can scale revenue. It's also very predictable. Uh, and I'll give you a second tip. And that is that, uh, When you are dealing with your board of directors, which a lot of startups, have, entrepreneurs have to do, they get in investors who are on their board, it pays not to conceal information from them. So a lot of entrepreneurs are afraid that if they show them bad reports or problems they have, that the investors will lose confidence. But the reverse is true, because more often than not, the investors find out anyway that things mm-hmm. aren't going as you say so don't sugarcoat it give them the real facts and make them your partners in solving your problems
0: okay great advice great advice it does come out in the wash and the last thing you want to be doing is trying to hide a lie steve thank you so much why don't you tell the audience how they can reach you if they have a great idea for a new product and want to kind of reach out to you or your linkedin your website whatever you want your Book links, whatever you want to tell them.
1: Sure. If if anybody wants to submit their business plan to Founder Space to to me for investment, if you want to engage me or contact me, just go to founderspace.com. So founderspace.com. You there. We have tons of videos and other content up there for entrepreneurs. I have something for your listeners uh, if they go there they can actually get the 10 commandments of raising venture capital. It's a a little primer, and and I'll give them the special URL. It's founderspace slash 10, the number 10. And you can also find my book, Surviving a Startup, which goes really deep on this stuff on the site, as well as my other books. And if you want to contact me personally, LinkedIn is a great platform. I'm on LinkedIn, Steve Hoffman, Founderspace.
0: Fantastic. I'll make sure all these uh, links get into the into the notes um, when we release the podcast and thank you again so much. This is really, really educational. It's, you know, it's kind of a a, a mystery out there. A lot of times that you think, you know, and you know, people do a where they should have done B and like we, like we were talking about they fall in love with their product. They're convinced that nobody else uh, has it in the world. And, you know, they talk to their brother and their aunts and their best friend and they say, it's fantastic. You should bring it to market and nobody buys it. <laughs>
1: that kills so many
0: businesses. (laughs) Well, again, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time and for joining me here on the Business Growth Cafe.
1: Thank you, Angela.
0: All righty. Steve, thank you again for stopping by the Business Growth Cafe. What a great conversation. Very insightful. A masterclass in getting your startups up and going and all the ins and outs and the do's and the don'ts and the Uh, pivots and turns you have to be careful of because it is not a straight road you've heard me talk about this on the show before growing a business is not a straight line and there's a lot of internal and external obstacles that you're going to face on that road to growth steve gave some great uh offers about uh reaching out to him and i'll put those in the show notes as well also a um Kind of the Ten Commandments for raising venture capital. We'll have that on his website. So Steve, thank you again for sharing your knowledge and and your insights to help my listeners and hopefully their friends who are thinking about growing a business. I really appreciate it. And I want to thank you for stopping by the cafe today. Now, if you're new to the show, thank you very much. If this maybe this is your first or second time listening, I appreciate it, and I would love for you to subscribe to the show to become a loyal listener, if you will. Uh, We have a lot of great content. I am in my fourth year. So I have a lot of shows you can backtrack and listen to a lot of great insights. And if you are a loyal listener, thank you so much. I really do appreciate. And I, I look forward to having you and seeing you and have you listen to us here at the Business Growth Cafe again next week. So don't forget, join me here next week at the Business Growth Cafe. Thank you for listening to today's discussion at the Business Growth Café with your host, Angelo Ponzi. Take a moment to subscribe to this podcast and visit our website at www.businessgrowthcafe.com. Read Angelo Ponzi's blogs at www.theponzigroup.com.